Welcome, welcome, welcome. Every playlist tells a story. Back. I'm Todd. It's Jimmy. And we are here to bring some new songs to the table and talk some smack and see where it takes us. The first fall podcast of the year. Welcome, welcome to autumn. Welcome to fall. And uh, officially, the red like, corn's browning. I, yeah. I noticed on the way out here. Yep, corn's browning up. Harvest time's um, starting to show. Uh, it's around the corner. Yeah, um, read something on social media. It's a little meme or something. It says if you really want to freak people out, refer to this time of year as the harvest. It makes Indiana sound like a cult. It does. Yep, I, I agree. All yeah. right, it is harvest time, America. In Indiana. That's right. Come visit. Yep. Uh, before we get started, subscribe rate, comments, all that stuff matters. Tell a friend. Keep up with the stuff on the socials. Trying to put more stuff up there. And Spotify playlist. And I'll tell you what, Jimmy, we got a lot to get to today. So let's let's just get started. Okay, let's do it. So housekeeping stuff real quick. The, the one thing I want to mention is, as we're speaking of the harvest, is your uh, wife had a post on, I believe, the Facebook a little while back that I thought was brilliant and to kind of paint the picture for the listener and I'll try to get the picture and, and put it up on the socials but there's a, a door and it looks like it's a door that your daughter's been given some sidewalk chalk or something to oh yeah in the garage to, to yeah. draw on and, and kind of do her artistic stuff there right. uh, and and it looks like somebody had written red rum I couldn't resist it. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist it. And, and I'll tell you what man I saw it and I laughed so hard I thought that was so <laughs> brilliant I even and, did the uh, R and the D in the movie. Yeah, no, it was like, just like uh, it Danny. was correct. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I, I took by the post that your wife did not find it as amusing as you and I did. She understands that I have very dark humor, right? And I didn't say nothing about it. I did it. Did it rogue? Oh, just let her find it. Didn't say a word about it. I wanted it to be discovered. That's the best. Well, I, um, you know, my daughter had gotten in the habit. You know, she was, you know, kids get that Crayola chalk, uh, those huge pieces of chalk, and they, they, they get them at daycare. Right. And we got her some just to keep her busy when we're outdoors, keep her distracted when we want to sit outside. And, you know, she started out on the on the ground, but eventually found the door um, to the garage and started drawing that. It's all, you know, we could wash it off real easy. Sure. It's no problem there. Uh but, you know, I started thinking, it's like, you know, what what would Kat's reaction be if I write Red Rum, <laughs> right, right, right exactly where Danny wrote it in The yeah. Shining, um, just to, you know, mess with her. Because yeah. uh, I got one thing, I'm not going to announce it, but I got another little uh, trick up my sleeve that's going to be an homage to a, to a horror movie um, that came out, uh, what was it, Paranormal Activity? Oh yeah, I I got something planned for this Halloween for there her. You go. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, again. It'll be one of those things. I'm just gonna do it, not say nothing. Right. And yeah. Just wait for the. I'm sure the reaction will show up on Facebook. Oh yeah, I'm sure she'll. Yeah. But yeah. No, I I saw that and I was just man, I laughed so hard. I thought that is just great. Yeah. Yeah, and she, and and my daughter was had that same color. I used red, blood red chalk. You know, wrote red rum on the door and. The other day, she was using that colored chalk and was uh, doing her scribbles on the door again. Right. I, I'd missed my opportunity to videotape that because she was, like, doing that over the red room that I wrote. Oh, okay. And it's like, oh, 
she know, was, so further, she was tracing it. It's like further evidence yes. that you know it was really my daughter that God, wrote that. Tell me, she was like she wasn't holding the chunk like you would hold a pencil, but she was had it like in her fist. Well, yeah, the, a the small hand. Was, it's the about the only way you can. Yes. A two-year-old hand. Yeah, <laughs> just digging it in. Yeah, Malachi style. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I thought that again. I thought that was brilliant, so I wanted to bring it up. But you know, you and I have kind of a similar sense of humor with stuff like that, so I thought that was that was fantastic. So I wanted oh, to thank you make mention of it. Uh, the other thing I got is man, and you know, I see these things in they, these lists and they fascinate me, but at the same time, it's kind of depressing, I guess. But uh, there was a, a listing on some site. I don't know. It was a picture. And, is uh, albums that are 50 years old in 2020. Okay. And uh, some notable mentions on it. It's not going to be everything, but Black Sabbath had two records, the original self-titled Black Sabbath and Paranoid. Uh, you know, I know the exact location that was shot in England. If I ever go to England. Really? That's I want to get my picture right where the... Um, well, the, I guess it's supposed to be a witch. Where the witch was, yeah. Yeah, right in that exact... That building's still up. I mean, the landscape's changed a little bit. But um, yeah, I want to get. I don't know if I'm gonna. I may have to do a little thing to turn me green. You know, like, right? Well, yeah. I don't know what. A little filter. A little filter. But uh, yeah, I want to reenact that. Uh, okay. Uh, that and I mentioned Leonard Skinner going down to Macon. Yep. And doing that in front of that window where the band was standing on their debut album. Get you a little coffee table book of all the studios you visit, and then do another one for all the album cover reenactments. Re yeah, reenactment of album covers. Nice. Yeah. Doors, yep. Morrison Motel. Big one, Roadhouse Blues. Yeah, Elton John, self-titled and Tumbleweed Connection. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a uh, yeah. This is your song, right? It was on that debut I think album. So. I think so. I think so. Yeah, it was one of his early hits. Guess Who, American Woman, Jimi nice. Hendrix Band of Gypsies. Nice. John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band. Oh yeah, Breakout. Zeppelin Three. Zay Immigrant Song. Uh, Neil Young after the Gold Rush. Simon and Garfunkel Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, yeah, classic song. And The Who, Live at Leeds. Live at Leeds, yep. All great albums, 50 yeah. years old, huh? It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I think the Beatles, last Beatles album, after the breakup, Let It, or let it, let be, it be. Yeah, Let It Be's on that list, too. Let It Be came out, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Immigrant yeah, so, so a Beatles record and a John Lennon record. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody was still shook up, I imagine. I mean, we weren't around to see it, but... Right. Um, there's still a well. I think even the Let It Be won a won a Grammy that year. Did yeah. I seen. I remember seeing video of Paul McCartney accepting on behalf of the band, even though they hated each other. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I think he came up here with Linda to accept that award. Um, hmm. Nineteen seventy. Good year. Yeah. Good year. Well, of course, that's the year. You know, we came into the we world born, to, yeah. you know, yep. to celebrate all those great albums. They that's right. Allow two individuals that, with years later, uh, make a uh, podcast to homage that glorious year. Yep. That's and that's all I got for kind of housekeeping stuff. You got anything? Um, like to mention? well, I'm going to uh, New Orleans this weekend. Okay. Uh, you know, like I said, visiting the studio, Little Richard, Little Richard made famous. Um, yep. World War II Museum. Right. Um, gonna go see some gators. A little boat trip. Tourist trap gators um, yep. outside Lafayette, Louisiana. Right. We'll spend the night there. We're going to try to get people to say manaz. I was waiting. I was waiting to see if uh, you remembered the task. It's on my back burner. There yeah. we go. That's gonna be on my mind as I'm driving to Lafayette. How I'm gonna 
approach that uh, question okay. when we go down this we we'll go to uh, eat that night when we arrive in New Orleans right or Louisiana and um, uh, there's you know there's some um, you know like murals some interesting murals I saw around the city of New Orleans I want to get pictures in front of that have come up over the, since the last time we've been down there we haven't been been down there since uh, our engagement pictures which was August of 2013. So wow. we're overdue. Yeah. Um, now we're going to have uh, our two-year-old with us. And so obviously we're not going into bars or doing the crazy nightlife, but it, it's still nice. Uh, great town to visit, day or night. It's it's awesome. And, of course, try to find a place to watch a Saints game in, in the Saints community style. Uh, uh, Champion Square outside the dome is not supposed to be open, and a lot of bars are not open. I was going to go to Archie Manning's restaurant, uh, who's a famous saint from the seventies. Uh, no, it's not going to be open. A lot of places are going to be closed, you know, still with all this pandemic stuff going on. So I might put a shout out. There's you know like Saints community on Facebook, right? right? When we're on our way down to see if anybody local knows a good spot to go that Sunday to catch the game against the Buccaneers. Okay. Though I did hear week two of the Saints, uh, they're they're thinking about allowing fans into the Superdome. There's like eight teams that are going to allow fans in week one. Are they going to do that social distance, yeah, well, sitting pods? You know, I was talking to the food and beverage manager I work with, director I work with, and you know, we were really curious on how they're going to pull off the concession stands and the restrooms right. and yeah. all that stuff. Um, he, he, I told him Miami Dolphins were one of them. They were going to allow fans, and he was thinking business trip. Um, you know, just to observe and report. Sure. But you know, see how we can use that at the arena here in town. I don't think that'll happen, but still, I'd love to see how or what their game plan is going in. It'll and, be interesting, yeah. And see what the aftermath of that plan, if it worked or not, or whether what they need to correct, because that's going to affect us as well. Yeah, I think the, these football games are going to be the, you know, the first ones. They're going to open the doors, create the template on yeah, what works and what doesn't, allowing mm-hmm. fans back into the buildings. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, really, really glad to see it finally happen. Yeah. I mean, since March, there's been no fans, no. Nothing. Yeah, you know, baseball, no and basketball, everything's been empty with yeah, basketball kind of piped in, in the noise. Bubble. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see things start to swing back that way, even though it's slow. Uh, you're starting to turn the turn the corner a little bit. That's, That's right. nice. So okay. All right. Well, why don't you go first this week? All right. So we're you know past Labor Day. You know when we talked last uh, week about uh, how you think um, Labor Day weekend is the start of the Halloween season. Unofficially, yeah. Unofficially. I, I, and I'm with you there. I think it's Halloween season. I think the day after Labor Day is the beginning of the Halloween season for me. I mean, if retail stores um, can bring out Christmas stuff in October, I have no problem bringing out the Halloween stuff in well, September. There's Christmas stuff out now. Are I you saw, serious? I saw. I, I don't remember where I was, but I saw we're somewhere, and there was more Christmas stuff out than there was Halloween stuff. You think it's because... I think it's because it's a crazy year. The crazy year. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to one of the neighbors the other day. They were out walking their kids, and he was talking about putting up his Christmas tree already. I'm like, dude, you got to get through Halloween, man. But he's already talking to his... He's got two little ones, and they're already talking about putting the Christmas tree up. You it's know, just... It's a, this is a bizarro year, man. 
See, something like that, it kind of reminds me of, um, like my brother sold me his, his uh, driver's license for five bucks when I was 18 right. years old. Right. And I was going to going to bars uh-huh. with that fake ID. And by the time I actually became legal to go to bars, yeah, I just it wasn't the same thrill anymore. Right, yeah. That's why I kind of kind of reminds me of that. You, know, you put your Christmas tree out in September. I mean, by the time Christmas gets here, you're yeah. just like you're kind of over it. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, mm, I don't know about that. But anyway, so Halloween. Um, I'm in the Halloween spirit, uh, and you know I love theme parks. Yep. Every summer, my dad took the family to either Six Flags in St. Louis, Kings Island in Cincinnati, or Opryland in Nashville, and Opryland was still alive. Uh, it's a mall now next to, the, you know, where the Grand Ole Opry is. Right. Like, what was that, in Riley, Riley Parkway? I think so, yeah. I think that's what it's called, but yeah. Opryland should be out there. Ever, did you guys ever go to Dollywood? Uh, we went last summer, Cat and I. Okay. Took Nola down, and... Uh, I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we went a couple of years ago with the boys, and it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I love the uh, the authentic um, steam locomotive. Yeah. Yeah, the train was cool. Now, did they play um, Kate, uh, Johnny Cash song? You remember? The Casey Jones? I don't remember. But, they, yeah, they blasted it when we were on there. Really? It was, like, perfect. It was, like, you know, that old pioneer feel to it, like some of Johnny Cash's music has. But yeah, impressed with Dollywood. That yeah. was that was cool, and um, you know she had her tour bus out there yep. when you walk in, and you could, like her museum and yeah, yeah, Dolly's cool. I dig her. But have you ever been to like down in Orlando? Have you ever been to like Universal Halloween Horror Nights? I've not. That's on a, a list of mine. A friend of mine goes down there. Has gone down there in the past and talked about how cool it is. And every year it's different. Now you know. I think one year was. They went and it was Walking Dead, and I since started following it. And I, you know, I know Rob Zombie's got like he's done stuff some years, and it's it's on the list of things to do. It it's sounds a, very cool. It is very very cool. Um, that usually starts up in mid September. Uh, Disney Walt Disney World has their not so scary Halloween party that actually starts up in late August. Okay. Uh, typically, now they've canceled both of them this year because of right. know, the pandemic stuff. But like Halloween Horror Nights is. You know, it's the theme park's open. Most of the rides are open, but it's the they have like the houses. It's like basically a walking maze. They're all I bet there's at least a dozen houses to walk through with different themes. Yeah, we went three years ago, twenty seventeen. The big one, like there's always a new headliner. Every year is a new the one that year was was the shining. Oh cool. Yeah, so you you know, you get in line and you walk in and you know, it's like you're automatically, you know, in the hotel. That carpeting, yeah, the exact same carpet. Awesome. Uh, you walk past the lobby where the the blood's coming out of the elevator shaft. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You go into the the maze in the wintertime, and there's some, you know, there'll be an actor dressed up like, um, Mr. Torrance, uh, Jack. Jack Nicholson. Um, he pop his head out, going, "Daddy, Daddy, where are you, boy?" You know, just you know, <laughs> pop like you know, to scare him to death. Um, I think the best uh, the best house was uh, Bloomhouse. They that is Bloomhouse is like a production studio. Movie produ- yeah. They've done. Um, they just did that Fantasy Island thing. I think right, Bloomhouse. Yeah, yeah, but they're responsible for like uh, Sinister and uh, oh, names are escaping me. But 
they would like sections of their house would be based on that movie. Okay. And I remember the sinister one because that's the one that really got me. That movie terrified me. It was well, and this section of the of it was terrifying as well because heavy strobe lights, right? Like black. You see black, black. I mean, and that's how they used it because there's so much. Like you'd walk down a long hall and there's like spaces where people could pop out. Right now the 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 evil character and. Sinister, you know, he has the mask. He looks like of, a guy from Slipknot. Yeah, exactly. Um, he just, when I was, I always, my philosophy in haunted houses is that you always walk first. Be the guy in front. Okay. Because they're not going to come after you. They're going to go after people hide behind you like a wuss. Okay. Um, that didn't apply to this uh, situation. Does, it didn't work out? I, I bravely walked out front, going down this long hall with strobe lights, you know, complete blackness and then light, and this over and over and over, just really messing with yeah, your senses. Yeah, very disoriented. And then suddenly I'm walking down the hall, it turns black, and then the light comes back on, and his, I mean, his face oh my God. is like 10 inches from my face. He just popped out of the side, just like, you know, peekaboo style. Right. And I'm surprised I did not. I jerked back so hard. Thank God my wife wasn't that close to me because I would have broke Popped her nose. Her, yeah. I would have broke her nose. I popped back so far. Oh my God. Oh my. Hey, it really got me. That one really got me. But the theming of those houses are pretty cool overall. Yeah. It's worth the trip. Definitely worth the trip. Yeah, I, I know we'll definitely get down there sometime and do it. Yeah, so well, anyway, we're shifting from summer to fall, and fall means Halloween, first big holiday of the season. And I picked a song that fits the Halloween season. Now, I'm more of a, it's a great pumpkin Charlie Brown Halloween kind of guy, rather than the Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, gory Halloween gotcha. guy. Um, I enjoy both, but I don't associate Halloween to slasher films like most people do. Like like he's, he's mentioned that Halloween store, Spirit yep. of Halloween, or what, what's it called? Spirit, Spirit of, Halloween. Spirit of Halloween. Yeah, they really go into the gore. Uh, I'm more of a you know a fan of the history of Halloween. You know how it evolved from you know the Druids and soul cakes, and you know from the Roman traditions and how the Christians took over all those traditions with All Saints Day and All Souls Days. To you know the immigrants coming over to the New World and starting the tradition of you know going from carving faces and squash and changing over the pumpkins and development of Halloween parades to keep the kids out of being mischievous and eventually the impact of a you know. The Charlie Brown special I mentioned, and uh, of course John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, it's just I love the whole the whole history of Halloween. It's it's very interesting, and and how it has an effect on pop culture today in America. And speaking of the slasher movies, um, the song I picked uh, could be played during the credit roll at the end of just any slasher movie you can think of and easily fit. I think. Um, and it's, it's a song that's um, by the Talking Heads called Psycho Killer. Uh, came out um, on their Talking Heads 77 debut album, uh, released uh, September 16th, 77. Uh, Sun Dragon Studios in New York City, uh, same studio, the Ramones, which you know I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Uh, recorded Leave Home, which uh, you know that album includes an awesome remake of California Sun, which I think most people associate with the Ramones now with their cover. Uh, written by David Byrne, uh, lead singer, Chris France, a drummer, and bass player, uh, uh, Tina Weymouth. Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, uh, included it as a 500 songs, one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. They released it as a single in December of 77, went to 92 
on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, the week of March 11, 1978, beaten out for the 91st spot by the highly energetic song Disco Rufus by the lovely female trio called Starguard. I swear the only lyrics um, in the song Disco Rufus is Get Up, Disco Rufus. That's it. Repeated over and over. I had to listen to it. How did Psycho Killer get beat out by Disco Rufus? Late 70s, man. Man, How did Disco? Disco ruled the charge. In in fact, that week, uh, the Brothers Gibb owned the one and two spot. Nice. the forgettable Love is Thicker Than Water by Brother Andy, and the more classic disco song Night Fever by the Bee Gees was number two. Okay. Talking about Psycho Killer, the idea of the song came from David Byrne. Uh, David was, um, this song was actually written much earlier, like in 73, 74, which was the height of Alice Cooper. He was listening to Alice Cooper, who was a hit-making machine at the time, and thought the Talking Heads could come up with something really rude like Alice does. And... Started working uh, with the soon-to-be-married bandmates, uh, Tina and Chris, on the album. They're still married today. Uh, Tina was, uh, you know, listening to what David had to say and was thinking along the lines of Hitchcock. You know, and Hitchcock would say something like, I'm going to kill you because you're not polite. That was kind of like where they were going to build, you know, they were building the idea off of that. And David wanted to uh, create a sense of a split personality in the lyrics where uh, he changed his personality by changing language. And Tina said in her interview that um, she was describing this whole situation about writing this song. Tina knew French, uh, so that's why you hear French on the bridge and every time uh, David uh, says Psycho Killer in the song. In fact, uh, when Tina told David uh, she spoke French, David said, uh, great idea because I asked a Japanese girl and when she found out it was a song about murder, she ran the other way. Okay. Yeah, so... You know, on the bridge, you hear nothing but French. Uh, and then, um, you know, when he says psycho killer, I know I'm going to butcher, I'm gonna butcher the uh, French language, but he says psycho killer, KCK, and that translates to what, what is it or what is this? And then he goes, fa, 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 beta. Uh, and translation of the bridge in the middle of the song, it, it translates to what I did that night, what she said that night, realizing my hope. I'm going for going for glory, okay. So yeah, really diving into this character of a split personality here. Right. Um, when the song was recorded and released as a single, um, now Talking Heads being a New York-based band, Psycho Killer instantly became associated with the son of Sam serial killings. Although the band insisted the song had no inspiration from what was going on at the time, you know it. It was like the hot topic in New York City. The irony of that is amazing, of writing that the time killer song. Yeah. And it being, like you said, it was written years before, but it being released at the time of the Son of Sam stuff. Yeah, because he was just arrested in August, and, um, you know, the trial and everything leading up, you know, the trial is still getting set up for uh, you know him to go up. Now, a little bit of background, um, you know, like I said, Psycho Killer came in the midst of that of the aftermath of the arrest and impending trial of the most famous serial killer in the history of New York City, David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the Son of Sam, who admitted to the police that the name Son of Sam, uh, which he left in letters to the, for the police to find after uh, you know the heinous murders that he uh, committed, uh, he admitted that the Son of Sam came from his neighbor's dog. Now, the neighbor was named Sam Carr, dog's name was Harvey. 
you know, Harvey was left outside and would bark through the night. It annoyed Berkowitz to the point that he shot and injured the poor animal. Uh, the com- and, and, you know, the combination of the dog, um, dog owners reporting that David shot his dog and David's car getting a parking ticket in the area of the last known shooting and the former employee uh, calling the police as a tip, uh, all those uh, led to his arrest uh, in August of 77. Now, when he was arrested... Uh, son of Sam, David Berkowitz. At the time of his arre- uh, arrest, he admitted to his to the police that his dog Harvey spoke spoke to him. Uh, the dog was he said that the dog was possessed by a demon, and the dog relayed messages from the devil that it was time for David to go out and kill. Okay. Um, his entire motivation was connected to the devil. The devil told him to kill these women, and the devil communicated through. Sam's dog, Harvey. So, can I ask a question? Sure. Communicated from the dog messages from a demon. He was a liaison. So, do we know, or do you know, were the messages communicated through barking, and Berkowitz could understand the barking? Was it communicated, the dog knew how to speak English, or was it like some sort of telepathy? I I think it was telepathy, along the line. Okay. Well, the thing is that, Later on, David admitted that all that was a farce. Right. But all you know is that this guy committed eight crimes. Terrible crimes. Throughout the boroughs of New York. He had eight million people in terror from the summer of 76 to the summer of 77. And you arrest a guy, and this is the first thing he tells you. All you know is he is responsible for all these murders. And the first thing he comes out with is that his dog is telling him all this stuff. Right. His motivation was from this dog. So, what the hell are you supposed to think? You know, this guy's sure. nuts. Um, so, okay, telepathy, sure, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, he felt he felt that uh, David Berkowitz felt the devil had a power over him and needed to do the devil's bidding. And when he killed a lady, um, she would be used by the devil for the devil's doing. And then at the end of the year... Supposedly, he's told the devil would reward him with a young lady for himself. Now, Bur- uh, ultimately, Berkowitz was uh, sentenced to 365 years in jail for the eight shooting sprees in the boroughs of New York. And, um, you know, that's pretty much the end of the story. But this became the theme song for all this drama that right, was going yeah. on in the yeah. city at the time. Uh, now, things I dig about the song, you know, the bass intro, obviously, first thing you hear. Um, uh I saw an interview where Tina was asked about asked about that bass intro, where she came up with such a, a memorial or such a memorable opening bass line, and she explained the bass line is from Bernard Herrmann's musical composition for the shower scene in the movie Psycho, the stabbing scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same beat pattern as the screeching strings you hear repeated over and over as the poor actress Janet Leigh is is getting knife from Norman's quote unquote mother. No spoilers here. Right. Uh, and always, the thing that always fascinates me about Janet Lee is that she is the mother of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's in the movie Halloween. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The original Scream, Scream Queen. Yeah. Two, two generations. Okay. And then going back to the intro, we talked about the bass line. Um, I like how they keep adding the instruments. You know, it starts with the bass, then drums kick in, then the guitar, then another guitar. I mean, it's a classic buildup to get a song going. Great guitar tone. 
love the troubled mind guitar solo outro at the end of the song. I mean, it kind of matches the whole theme. David Burns, of course, his vocals are perfect for the song. He always comes off as a nervous person anyway, which I'm guessing ties back to the fact he's got uh, Asperger's syndrome. I don't know. Asperger's that. syndrome, you know what that is? Uh, in a generic kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Anyway, but basically, it's like, you know, you have trouble expressing yourself socially in normal channels, right. com- normal one-on-one conversations. I mean, David Byrne has admitted it was easier for him to go on stage and blurt things out, like in a song or a speech, and make expressions on stage and to speak to people, you know, in a one-on-one conversation. You know, and that was great for fans. It didn't really help his relationship with bandmates so much, which kind of led to their demise, um, his, um, that behavior. Um, the more successful the band got, the more distant David got. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of nervous personality comes through in his, um, you know, his presentation of his character in the song when he's telling the story. And, uh, you know, and a little side note, I, I love the, that the fourth member of the band um, Milwaukee's own Jerry Harrison had just come over from I mentioned last episode uh, the band Modern Lovers um, I talked you know I raved about the song Roadrunner right uh, he was a keyboard player in the, in in that band uh, came over and joined the Talking Heads uh, that band also featured Jonathan Richman who you mentioned was uh, the uh, kind of the singing narrator in the movie Something About Mary yep um, the band also had the future Cars drummer David Robinson, wow. who was uh, there from beginning to end, and you know Roadrunner being a great driving song from that band. Really, I mean, I can go into the history of Talking Heads, but you know, Talking Cycle Killer, I mean, just a just a great song for playlists, especially this time of year. Right. Um, well, it's uh, it's it's interesting that when you told me you were going to do this song, you know, I mentioned it before that Rock Legends show on Axis TV yeah. channel. They had a Talking Heads 30-minute kind of thing. So I watched it, and it was pretty interesting in that the, is it Tina, the bass player? Yeah. Okay. So I guess she just started out as like a fan that drove him around. Correct. Yeah, she was just a girlfriend. Yeah, just a girlfriend, and then they just needed a bass player, so she filled the spot. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, they they talk about how her bass, she didn't know how to play the bass. Right. Uh, but she was, I mean, they all went to the Rhode Island School of Art. Mm-hmm. And so she was, you know, a, a painter first and kind of approached it from that artistic point of view. Yeah. And it wasn't like the traditional learn your scales and learn your notes and all that. It kind of came from, you know, I'm going to use that mind to, you know, play the bass. Right. And, you know, it comes through with talking yeah, no, They're it's, a different band. It's very unique. Uh, a couple of the, I guess, quotes I took from that episode of Talking Heads is, says they were one of the most influential bands of the new wave movement in the 70s and 80s. Uh, they were great experimentalists and yeah. almost everything, every experiment they tried worked. Yeah. Yeah, it was like they just kind of did their thing. The, the one quote that I love the most is they were art, they were an art pop band that discovered punk and learned how to party. Yeah. That was yeah, a, in fact, they, um, you know, it, they, because of the way they were, they kind of fell into that, that punk. Well, I mean, their first gig together was opening for the Ramones at CBGB's. CBGB's, yeah. So they immediately got stuck into that. They, they I, were thrown into that whole... They aren't really like the Ramones. I mean, their, well, but their if style. You think about, you know, I've watched a few things on CBGB, and it's, you know, you've got the Ramones, which is 
classic punk, and then you've got the Talking Heads have been mentioned in it, and you've got bands like Blondie. Yeah. And they're they're all so different. Right. So it's it's one of those deals where I guess everything just kind of falls into the category, whether you're extreme Ramones punk rock or yeah. you're arty thinking man's band like talking, talking heads, heads yeah. or your blondie whatever you know that kind of whole kind of caribbean vibe thing she had going on or right. whatever um and then the last thing that they mentioned in this and, and i wrote it down because i knew you would love it okay uh the first single love goes to building on fire i think is what it's called okay was produced by a gentleman named tony bon jovi that's John right. Bon Jovi's cousin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He helped John Bon Jovi get uh, get Bon Jovi off the ground. Yeah. So yeah, the whole New York Jersey connection there. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting little. I don't know if I love it. Well, you know, I blame him or anything. <laughs> I, I I just got, know, I just know your feelings about Bon Jovi. I I just public record I. I was okay with Bon Jovi when they, you know, they came out their first couple albums, you know, and then I love and she's a little runaway. Runaway, and, yeah. But where they lose you? Well, okay, so slippery, slippery when wet comes out. Yep. And you know, want it dead or alive? Okay. And uh, what was the other big hit off that one? Uh, we got to hold on to what you got. Oh, living on living the prayer. prayer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's good songs. But then after a thousand times playing those. It's like, oh, come on. You know, these songs aren't any better than, you know, their early hits, in my opinion. You Give and Love a Bad Name played. was on that record? Slippery on the <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> Don't sigh. Oh, my God. It's just, I can't take it. I can't take it. And the worst part is that they're a pop band using the whole metal, the metal image to right. promote their stuff. They got thrown into the metal. Like, when you... Columbia House, you know, you had to pick a genre of music that you like to kind of, you know, so they could pick the give you your set list set of yeah. the month. You yeah. know, they they're going to try to frame you into forcing you to buy. Yeah, uh, I would look at their metal genre, and Bon Jovi's always in there. It just drove me nuts. How can you put Bon Jovi in with uh, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and Metallica and Motorhead? Well, it's kind of the same as this punk thing we talked about. Yeah. Different facets of it. It's where are you going to put them? You yeah. Know? They, they, they belonged with Debbie Gibson, Cindy Lauper. They were the, the New Jersey, L.A. metal. And a lot of people are going to hate me for it, but they Bon Jovi overrated. Overrated. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, and then the, they got some gems. Overplayed. Over definitely definitely played a lot. They got more respect than bands, other bands in that area. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it wasn't metal. This yeah. wasn't metal. No, ah. had to bring it up, didn't you? <laughs> didn't mean to get you started. Okay, I sh- I'll shut up. And I know there's Bon Jovi fans out here, and you know you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, Talking Heads, Psycho Killer. Nice. Thank you. Good one. And then it's funny because we talked, I don't remember how long ago it's been. It's been a little while back. But you, I think you heard like a Lady Gaga song. You sent me some oh, text boy. that was like, this Lady Gaga song is a total ripoff of Talking Head Psycho Killer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Was it, it was um, a text. You were, you, I think you were going to Florida. Was it Poker Face? Might be. 
I yeah, think. I think so. And it was just because it was just out of nowhere. Because I think I texted <laughs> you like, hey, you know, have a safe trip or something stupid or whatever. And the response I got back was, I think it was Poker Face. It was like, Lady Gaga's Poker Face sounds just like Talking Head Cycle Killer. Well, you know, I don't know if anybody knows, uh, but there's a world out there of music called mashups. Yes. Where you can take the music from uh, one song and take the lyrics from another song and they fit perfectly. Yes. Like, uh, I heard, like, for example, um, you know, TLC had a song uh, called Scrubs. Yep. Uh, put on top of, um, of a Cure song. I can't remember the name of it, but it just fit like a glove. Um, the uh, Christina Aguilera song, What a Girl Wants, uh, had her singing on top of Van Halen's Jump. Yeah. The music uh, music part of Van Halen's Jump. In fact, Van Halen's Jump is probably the the biggest, the most used of the mashup uh, world. I've, I've heard like an ABBA song, like the girls from ABBA uh-huh. singing uh, uh, Super Trooper Beams Are Gonna Blind Me which was a hit back in the 70s, but on top of Van Halen's Jump song. And it fit like a glove. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just got, there's something about Van Halen's Jump. It just, it could, you could sing, so, there's so many different songs that have that same pattern. I think a while back I sent you one. I, I love the mashups. I'm, I mean, some of them are... There's a lot of bad ones. There's a lot of bad ones that you gotta, you gotta like uh, give some passes to. But I, I heard this is how we do it. Like him singing on top of uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Right. And I can't listen to Welcome to the Jungle the same without <laughs> doing that. This is how we do right. it. Right. I think I sent you like a Donna <laughs> Summer, Glenn Danzig mother mashup a while back. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. There's some, there's, yeah, there's some great ones out yeah. there, man. But but yeah, I'm with you. I love those mashups. Yeah, like uh, um, Rainbow in the Dark by Dio on yeah. top of uh, on top of Super Freak by Rick James. Yeah. Those are my favorites, man. The ones yeah. that take like heavy metal and like classic R and B soul funk yeah. stuff. Those are the best. Yeah, those are that's a good time. But yeah, I heard I was listening to Lady Gaga and I started singing Psycho Killer on top of it mm-hmm. and I was like, I and mean, it's the exact same yeah. beat pattern and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. yeah. All right, my song this week is, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I almost feel guilty about doing this one because, and I think I even mentioned it to you, is this this really is a song you should be doing because it the, was the, my response the, to it. The fact that I even know this song and love it comes from you just turning me on to exploring different kinds of. Music outside of the normal heavy metal Oh, when we stuff. first uh, got yeah, to working together. Yeah, when we first got to working yeah, together gotcha. and talking about music. So, you know, the fact that this song's even in my wheelhouse now. And I, I absolutely love this song. And you know what? When I dove in to what this song was about, it was just, like, fascinating. So the song itself is uh, Good Hearted Woman. And uh, artist is Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. Classic. So the oh and back to your responses. I think when I told you I was doing it, but I felt guilty about doing it. You, you I think you alluded that do it. And I'll help you along. So gonna yeah. rely on you to jump in wherever you, yeah, wherever it, needs to be. Hey, the songs belong to people, not to me. That's right. So the, the interesting first interesting thing about this is this song was uh, released in 1972 on Waylon's Good Hearted Woman record, and I think it. Let's see. It was recorded in 1972, title track for his upcoming album. Peaked at number three on the Hot Singles chart. Now, 
what interests me and the version that interests me more is there's an album called One of the Outlaws, which was Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Jesse Coulter, and a gentleman named Tompel Glazer. Glasser? Yeah, he's involved. he did some songwriting, yeah. production guy. Yeah, that came out in 1976. And, you know, most people know Waylon, most people know Willie. Jesse was, of course, married to Waylon. Right. And uh, But I looked a little bit up on this Tom Paul Glazer. Glazer. Yeah. Okay. says he was a solo artist, but in the 70s, his studio in Nashville was dubbed Hillbilly Central and considered the nerve center of outlaw country movement. So he's uh, kind of a, a central force, but I'd never, I'd never really heard his name before. Yeah, it's, uh, well, there was, Nashville was, they were kind of pioneers of that whole outlaw, yeah. quote unquote outlaw thing, because, uh, you know, Nashville had like a formula thing happening, which got, I think it's kind of going on again. But, right. um, you know, just, uh, there's a certain way a song needs to be written that, to be a hit. Right. And uh, it, it frustrated Waylon and frustrated Willie. They both were in the Nashville scene trying to break, you know, be a breakout artist, but they eventually had to give up because they just didn't fit. Right. So they went back to Texas and, uh, you know, discovered rock and roll and found a, you know, a way to mm-hmm. make it happen on their own terms. Yeah. And it changed country music for a long time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so like I said, the version of the good-hearted woman, uh, the version I've picked is from the 1976 live version with both Waylon and Willie uh, singing on it. A little background on the song, going to go all the way back to 1969, a year before you and I were born, mm-hmm. Fort Worth, Texas. Waylon Jennings sees an ad promoting Tina Turner. Of Ike and Tina. Of Ike and Tina fame. Sees an ad promoting Tina Turner as a, quote, good-hearted woman loving two-timing men. As a reference to Ike Turner. Interesting. Now, if you don't know the Tina Turner-Ike Turner story, fantastic movie. Uh, Rocky relationship is a nice way of putting it. What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it, yep. So, so Waylon sees this ad promoting Tina as a good-hearted woman loving two-timing men. Gets the idea in his head. Goes over to find Mr. Willie Nelson, uh, writing partner, friend, fellow country artist. Yeah. Who, uh, Willie's in the middle of a poker game. Okay. So Waylon pulls up a chair to this poker game. They're playing poker and says, hey, man, I just got this idea for this song and got some lyrics. And, and so as they're playing poker, they're basically working out the lyrics to this song while Willie's wife is sitting in the room scribbling stuff down as they go making her own version writing the version you know willie and Waylon are going back and forth doing the lyrics and willie's wife is writing down what they're saying okay i got you because they're playing poker they're in the middle of a card game so they're talking out the layout of the song oh just to keep the table honest i guess yeah, so yeah so they're not you know cheating yeah. everywhere else is right the table. so they're playing you. poker talking about this song writing the lyrics Willie Nelson even says, I think he had most of that song written. I think I gave him a line or two and ended up with half the song. Gotcha. So basically, Waylon's got this whole thing written, sits down with Willie. Hey, I've got this idea. Here's all the stuff I've got. They work out the song, and Willie basically says, I got half the song, but I really only contributed a line or two to it. And sometimes that's a big deal. And yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's those one or two lines that make or break. So on this uh, One of the Outlaws album with the live, quote-unquote, live version of this song that came out in 76. Yeah, that's a more famous one. Waylon remixed the song, added the vocals from Willie and fake crowd noises to give it a live feel for that record. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because 
the the crowd noise comes in waves and dead spaces in yeah. the song. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I've I never I've made fun of that many times when I'd be in the car listening. Yeah, other people have never heard that song. Yeah, once you, once you realize it's it's piped in fake, it's not a real live cut. Yeah, you pick that up, and it's and it's interesting because there were some podcasts I was listening to a while back, and I don't even remember what it was, but. There were several episodes of different artists where it was like the record company would take demo versions and release them with fake crowd noise under it to capitalize on, you know, they're not putting anything new out, so they'll put a live record out. Well, half these live records are demo versions with just fake live audience under them. Yeah, that's that's that's, new. We've done it. (laughs) We We have dabbled in it, yes. But it was interesting to me, so... Uh, so yeah, that that album was put together with the fake crowd and adding Willie's uh, vocals to it and released to capitalize on the new outlaw country movement. The album became country music's number one platinum album. Yeah, that's a landmark, a huge, album. huge record. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, the song uh, number one on the Billboard Hot Country Singles and number twenty five on the Hot Hundred. I, I I clearly remember like the first time. There used to be hydroplane racing um, in our hometown um, around 4th of July. Uh, The first, I remember the very first one was like 78. And I remember me and dad going up to a booth that was doing iron-on t-shirts. Remember like they they have a wall Uh of things you could select that you want a t-shirt and they'd hot press it on there and permanently, yep. you know, eventually over time it'd wear out, you know. Or, and, and I'll tell you what, on a hot day, those were the, wherever that image was, yeah. was the hottest spot on your body. Oh yeah, it'd leave a red mark if you weren't man. careful. Yeah. But, yeah, we had um, matching black t-shirts because Waylon always wore black. Right. With the Waylon Jennings, the greatest hits picture, uh-huh. you know, on the cover. Yeah, we had we walked around with matching shirts that day. Nice. Yeah, 78. Waylon was... One of the big ones at oh, yeah. that time. Yeah. Uh, song also won Single of the Year, 1976, at the Country Music Association Awards, and is credited with giving Willie and Waylon both nationwide recognition. In 1984, format change of things, this was uh, among the first albums to be reissued on compact disc. Yeah, so CDs are coming out. This is one of the first ones selected to, to go to print to be released as a CD. It's one of the biggest country Huge. albums at that time, you know, yeah. leading up to 84. Right? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And then in the, in the ultimate, to me anyway, the ultimate sense of irony, uh, Tina Turner has actually recorded a version of this song. Oh, for who went full circle? For her Soul Deep album. I'll be there. Yeah, okay. There's a version of the song written about her yeah. on one of her records, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, things I dig about this song, man, it's it's it is that classic country bouncy bass line. Yeah, I mean, it's there's no mistaking that that sound. And, oh, Waylon's yeah, Waylon's yeah. sound is it's it it's it's like Johnny Cash's has his. Waylon's got his as well. Yeah, I mean, it's very distinct. Yeah, the, the and then just the vocals, the way that it bounces between Willie and Waylon, it just it works. They just complement each other so much. Yeah, it's just it's it's a perfect fit. And then even just the, you know, it starts off with just kind of that bass line and you start singing. There's a sneaky way, kind of like you talked about the Talking Heads thing about how the, the buildup of the bass line and the drums and the guitar. There's a sneaky way that that full band sound kind of comes into this song. Oh, yeah, when the drums kick in yeah. there. So, 
you know, as far as memories or randomness of, of whatever that I associate with this song. So uh, we have twin boys. Okay. Two sons are 16 years old. When we found out we were having twins, yeah, you and well, started going through the list of what we were going to name them. You know, I was up in the attic looking for that zombies. Right, yeah. I came across the the uh, Twix yeah. uh, cookies that had their names on yep. it. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. You gave everybody one of those. Yeah. Um, but did you know that my very when, – when, when I was told you're going to have twins, you need to think of names – for two boys. Okay. Do you know what my number one pick was? Willie and Waylon. Are you serious? That is my number one pick. The first thing that immediately popped in my head was Willie and Waylon. That would have been perfect. That would have been awesome. Um, it didn't stick. Obviously. Yeah, it didn't stick. Yeah. So I then I can't imagine your wife approving that one. Well, you know, it's. Or did she? It's a little outlaw. No, I don't. I don't think she went for it. It just frightened. Yeah. I thought I actually yeah. she the way I remember it anyway is you know that's not going to work. I thought it would have been great. They should legally. Phil's right. Name. No, they, you know what? They're yeah. Maybe they will. Maybe one day they will. I, you know, I would on your deathbed. I would say, can you just, just grant me this one wish? Just for the just for the, my dying. If wish. nothing else, for the day. Legally change your name. Yep. And then uh, just kind of you know when Willie and Wayland didn't fly, I also. Floated uh, Angus and Malcolm was another option. That, yeah, that's all. And then uh, Eddie and Alex as well. Eddie and Alex. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, that William Whale. I mean, that's a hand of God. That was my first initial. That's what I want to name them. That would be awesome. I, you know, along that line, going to just say something. That, yeah. That's appropriate. Uh, there's a there was a lady that we used to work with. Um, now her maiden name was Turner. Uh-huh. Uh, and last name, uh, married name is Overby. Yep. And we tried so hard to convince her to name uh, her first son Bachman. Yes, we did. So, and her middle name would be Turner, which is her maiden name. Yep. So it would be Bachman Turner Overby. Yep. Uh, how that? How she did not do that. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, it's missed opportunity. Yeah, missed opportunity. And then lastly, as far as playlist categories that this song falls into, man, anytime you want to just sing along to a damn good song, Put this on. This is just, it's a great, great song. Yeah, it's timeless. And, you know, when I was in my 20s, like, traditionally, a lot of people get married in their 20s, you know. And, of course, many of them, you know, they say, I've heard 50 50, a lot of them don't make it in their 20s, and they ended up up in divorce. And I, this this song, the lyrics of the song remind me so much of a lot of those, uh, Former couples, you know. Yeah. That she's a good-hearted woman, love with a good time and man. Loves him in spite of his wicked ways she don't understand. Yep. Um, yeah, I've seen that in play in seen, my life. Seen it played out. It, that, I think it's what made the hit. Yeah. Because everybody's seen that couple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, You know, when I think of Waylon and Willie, I always think about, I have to credit them for... Um, I have to credit them for uh, giving me my first um, <clears throat> my first vision of uh, a topless lady on screen. What? Um, back in those in the heyday. Willie and Waylon working blue. I, I have to thank Waylon and Willie for that because uh, back in my hometown, just north of here, there used to be a drive-in. I think it's called Starlight Drive-In, and you know, we're, you know, in, in the seventies, Waylon Willie, the Outlaw album, monster country, right? right? Number one country. Um, they 
did a special showing of now every year Willie Nelson does a Fourth of July party mm-hmm. back in his hometown in Texas. Um, they uh, recorded a movie, uh, you know, and released it, uh, you know, to to the world, and it it got the it was played at this drive-in. Now my dad is huge Waylon Willie fan, but he's also a very strict Catholic. Right. So you know he has to balance that out. Yeah. Um, That's two different worlds, man. But he knew I loved Waylon because he played Waylon, and I loved hearing Waylon and. So he, I got to go out to the drive-in with him. Now, you know, I'm seven, eight years old probably when this movie was playing at the drive-in. And at this drive-in, there was like a, a swing set, you know, teeter-totter, stuff for the kids to do. Yeah. You know, to distract them. They didn't want any cell phones back in, and the parents appreciated that the kids had something to do. So I was out there, you know, on the swing, just kind of casually watching, you know, the movie. Now, I knew my dad was back in the, you know, a few rows back in, in the truck. And, you know, I was on the swing watching, and, uh, you know, there's a camera was face front and center uh, to the stage. They're just they're playing live. And then girl jumps up on stage completely topless. Okay. Runs across and, you know, gives, um, you know, gives Willie a hug. You know, Waylon's smiling. They're both smiling, you know. This typical right. live concert debauchery. And, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen a naked lady on screen. On screen. Topless yeah, yeah. on screen. And I, you know, I was just like, "What?" I, I remember my, what just, kind of world? You know, is I, this? how your chin, your your like your eyes become the center of your skull. Yeah. Like you dip down. You yeah. know, I was just like, and I guarantee, just seconds later, I feel my dad's <laughs> hand on my shoulder. He said, "Come on, we're getting out of here." That's right, time to go. He, and we left. We had to leave. Yeah. He was so embarrassed by yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because my dad was fairly uptight with loose subjects. Sure. Like yeah. That. Um. That, <laughs> wow. Yeah, he, he's just like he, he. And there wasn't a thing said on the way home. I mean, I clearly remember that moment. <laughs> yeah, at Waylon and Willie Fourth of July picnic party at the drive-in. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. But yeah, good pick this week. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That does it. Yeah, it's a fantastic song. It's it's been on my list for a long time. And again, that's I kind of credit a lot of this stuff to you i mean you're the one that kind of opened my eyes to it so hey. I, I kind of felt guilty that you know running down my list and this is the one that came up and i was like oh hey. this is a jimmy song this is not a todd song love Waylon james he's my favorite all-time country artist yeah fantastic um, stuff. i was so sad when he passed away yeah that was such a bomber time because yeah. we just lost a, i can't remember johnny cash was first or if Waylon was first it was around 2002 i think he died and i think johnny died 2003 um mm-hmm. But yeah, I was very depressed that day. Um, I just had to go home. It was that depressed. It was like some people were with Elvis. I was that way with Waylon Jennings. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's always. I never will get tired of the song. That's. It was a good pick, Todd. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that does it. Another fantastic week of every playlist tells a story. The podcast. Uh, again, don't forget subscribe and rate and comment and send us emails at every playlist tells a story at gmail.com. Follow us on the socials, got an idea, hate something we said, got a good joke, whatever I would like to throw a question out there. Oh, we haven't had a Jimmy question for a while. When, when I'm excited. It, when is it appropriate to put Halloween stuff out? When is it appropriate to put Halloween stuff out? Or and Not even appropriate. When do you 
put your Halloween stuff out. Okay. Is it September? Is it first of October? I think for me, it's first of October. I think it's okay to. That seems to be the norm. I think it's okay to start getting in the mood for things like, like Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like for Christmas, to me, you put up stuff around Thanksgiving. Correct. You get to Thanksgiving first, but I will say, it's a pro. I will start listening to my Christmas song playlist beginning in November. Once, once I I will shift. Like I said, my season once is, Halloween's over. Summer is Jaws, and right. then beginning of September, you know, Labor Day ish. I transition from Jaws to Halloween movies. Okay. And then I go Halloween all the way through October 31st, and then November 1 is Home Alone and Christmas time. Okay. And there's, I mean, there's still... Yeah, that's there's a little things. early for me on Christmas. Well, but I won't decorate, but I kind of start getting in the mindset of things. So okay, I will, you know, November 1, I'll maybe start listening to a couple select Christmas songs, things like that. So, okay. but as far as Halloween, I think, I think it's, I think it's legit after Labor Day. But decoration wise, I don't. I don't think in you know October. I slowly start um, day after Labor Day. And like um, we got a, a screen in porch, and we put uh, like each section we put a jack o' lantern, like a plastic one. I probably start with that and slowly build on to that as uh, we get closer to the Halloween. But definitely by the first of October. Yeah. No, I think October one at the earliest. I think. Okay. For me. So, All right. Well, yeah. yeah. So, what do you, yeah? Let us know. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Bye.